welcome to Personal Landscapes. I'm your host, Brian Murdoch. You can find links for today's episode and other conversations on Books About Place at ryanmurdoch.com. Today I'm speaking with Guy Canaway. In 1997, he published a ridiculously funny comic novel called One People. It's one of those books that really captures the essence of a place and a culture. It's a work of fiction, but it's set in real village and was inspired by real characters. Everybody's got a scheme for making money or, or getting rich or becoming famous, and those who attempt the schemes are usually nearly always undone in the process. But it's also a, a funny, endearing, and deeply human book. A book that Guy has described as a love letter to a little Jamaican fishing village. We had a very wide-ranging conversation about living as an outsider in Jamaica, about the legacy of British colonialism and slavery, about the impact of all-inclusive tourist resorts, and why he's a passionate advocate for Patois, the national dialect. It's one of those books that leaves your stomach cramped from laughing, and where the characters stay in your head long after you've turned the last page. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Guy Kennaway, welcome to Personal Landscapes. Very, very nice to be here, Ryan. What an honor it is to be asked. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. When did you first go to Jamaica and what initially attracted you to the place? I first went in 1984. And what attracted me to Jamaica then was that it was considered, at least in Britain, quite a kind of dangerous and licentious and um, and an inappropriate place to hang out. And this immediately attracted me. It also didn't have mass tourism then, because by the, by the mid eighties, kind of mass tourism was beginning to take off and the globalization of, of the tourist experience was beginning to happen, but it hadn't really kept caught on in Jamaica for fairly obvious reasons I discovered. And um, it was too later, of course. And it seemed like, like a like, like like an interesting place where it would be a genuine um, experience rather than a tourist experience, which I I, I was already beginning to uh, be very resistant to, even even in the eighties. And and the licentiousness that came from quite a lot from Ian Fleming, who invented James Bond in in Jamaica. But there was also we we had quite a lot of Jamaican immigrants in Britain by this point. And they lived a kind of lifestyle that, that, that I, as a very uptight, white, English, middle-class lad, young man, um, uh, envied. They didn't seem to care much about authority. They, they, they smoked their drugs. They grew their hair. They had their own religion, which, which, which fascinated me. And it was a very good religion. It, 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 it left matters of kind of doctrine and all that, basically, to each individual person. You could just sort of make up, not exactly make it up. And it had this lovely hymnal with all the Bob Marley songs. And it had its own haircut. And it was like, what an amazing religion. I want to find out where that, you know, where that originates. And they always seem very, in a very dour England of the 1970s, the Jamaicans always seemed like a very vibrant, I didn't know very many of them, but I used to see them on the, on the, on the streets of London. And I thought, I'm going to find out where they come from. That's really interesting. They, they do seem to carry their own sort of sunshine with them. 
It's a very strong culture. I mean, for their weight, I mean, everyone always says they, they punch above their weight, but it's quite extraordinary for the for the size of their economy and the and the size of their population. They've only, I think, got about two and a half million people there. They they are known all over the world. I'm not quite all over the world, but pretty well all over the world. If you say Jamaican, someone will say Yaman to you, almost wherever you are. And of course, those are just cliches and. Um, some some of them rather boring and tedious. In fact, I saw a film last night um, about a Jamaican in in America meeting white people and having their their tourist uh, culture reflected back to them and how tedious it was that the white people had only picked up this kind of hotel ho- hotel hotel culture hotel Jamaica. But anyway, um, uh, they it, they are unbelievably confident. I mean, so confident. And the the and the English now we are. We've had a sort of crisis of confidence and we've been in a funk about ever since the decline of the empire, the Second World War, we have really been in a state of high anxiety about who we are, what, you know, what our culture is. I don't know if this is true where, where, where you are, but particularly the white people, no, everyone, everyone, who the hell, what is it to be English? What are we good at? You know, what about all these terrible bad things we've done? You know, da 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 And we grew up, uh, I grew up, uh, being amongst various people who are very cynical about the English and very about about ourselves, about w- what we were up to. But when I got to Jamaica, one of the extraordinary things about Jamaica is how patriotic they are. I mean, the number of times you hear Jamaica in a song, if you replace, you never hear Britain or England in a song, except unless you're a right-wing maniac. You know, it's like to be that patriotic is to be almost fascist and, and, and unpleasant in Britain. They're very proud of, of being Jamaican. You see Jamaican flags as uh, absolutely everywhere the uh, the icon the is not at all frowned on whereas the british flag the union jack is quite frowned on because there are a lot of problems around it or rather we see a lot of problems about it understandably so they're really patriotic they're really confident now i mean they're even they're confident about things that they have every right to be confident about they're confident about their, their their music and about their ability to move and dance and they're confident about their sexuality, but they are the very, very sensual, sexual uh, culture. But they're also confident about things that they're totally shit at. And I always say it to them. They go, you know, Jamaican food, best food in the world. And I go, au contraire, you know, Jamaican food is utterly shit. But you don't know that because you don't allow any other cuisine in this country because you are so um, proprietorial about your culture. I mean, they don't play any white music there. Um, they, well, they play Kenny Rogers. They pay Kenny Rogers. Why? Who knows? And a little bit of Elton John, but Kenny Rogers. If you are in a Jamaican bar, the apart from when they when they might that nowadays, of course, they might in, you know the, where they're mixing different tunes. You might hear uh, a, a bit of a, a white tune be, being used to their purpose, put to their purpose. But an actual whole song written and sung by a white person, no. Kenny Rogers is the only one, and it's all, nearly always The Gambler. There's one called The Gambler. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've listened to it quite a few times, and I guess figure the philosophy uh, of The Gambler suits them. Anyway, whatever it is, they like Kenny Rogers. And, you know, there have been quite a lot of white musicians who have ended up living there. Keith Richard did, and Johnny Cash as well. But they don't know who either of those two are. And I suspect it must be one of the appeals of being uh, of living in Jamaica for Keith Richards, is that no one would, no would recognise Mick Jagger in my community. Absolutely nobody. Uh, I mean, they wouldn't recognize Madonna either. They, they have no, there is no, there is no celebrity culture there. And this is part of what you're saying about their confidence, because 
And it, it's said by other people, but it does it does stand examination. They they are kind of all celebrities. They all carry on as if the spotlight is on us for the short period, and let's just let's burn it. You know, let 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 let's burn up our lives. Let's let's shine as brightly as we can, and and take the spotlight. They, uh, and as as a result, they they're, they're very even with the digital media, they haven't really got iconic. Um, celebrities the way the, the way the British have they definitely can't they, that Bono was shot at by the police <laughs> they thought they thought he was a drug smuggler you know really? that's, that's a true story you know? <laughs> not not really the reception he was expecting he landed he made, he made the mistake of landing in a rather flashily landing in a seaplane at Negril and um uh and they, they, uh, he came ashore, and they, they started shooting him, assuming that he was a drugs dealer. One of the most famous men in the world. But they didn't. They did, not only had they not recognised him, they hadn't heard of him. They didn't know what U two was, <laughs> and they didn't know who Bono was. And it was uh, there was. It took a bit of time to clear it up. Yeah. So the appeal of Jamaica is just going up and up and up through since the beginning of this conversation. I can see why you uh, why you like going there so much. So you settled in a village initially. Well, I went to Negril, which was. In this is in the in the early mid eighties. It was it's it's exceedingly naturally beautiful. It's there there are a couple of places in Jamaica. I mean, it, it, in, it, I'm sure in uh, Canada and America it's the same. There are occasionally you come across a real natural wonder, and I mean something absolutely you know jaw droppingly beautiful. And there are one or two of those in Jamaica, and one of them is the beach at Negril, which is about seven miles, eight miles of the finest talc coral sand. And it inclines at the most beautifully uh, um, shallow rake. And the water is so clear and so warm. And the coconut trees are, are so beautifully spread and the coconuts just lying on the floor. It is absolutely physically beautiful and it's positioned exactly west and there's something with the sky i don't know what it is but it is blessed with the most extraordinary what seems like a kind of freakish sunset almost every night and when you're there it you feel in a very a place that god really smiles on but unfortunately it was a bit seedy and a bit kind of rat infested and it, it had gone into decline in the in the in the 70s and 80s Jamaica had a lot of trouble getting people there because you know the, the law and order was totally out of control and and they didn't handle things well so although I loved it I didn't like hanging out with with the tourists and with the people who were dealing with the tourists so I took a car and I what I often do was whenever I travel a place I, I I leave at the tourist center find a little place ask to rent it or ask and rent a flat or a cottage and I just sit and do nothing and just watch because I think travel narrows the mind in that if you if you skid too fast over a country you're really I, I am not really going to see very much so I'd rather at random take one spot a flat an apartment with a bar over the road and a shop and a square and really just sit there now I'm writing so I can just sit and write and after like the first week, in the first week, you meet most of the shit people in the pub. 
You know, certainly in my pub, you know, you know, you meet the most boring people. They come and launch them to hell at you. You get rid of them. And then by the end of the second week, you meet someone who, who you saw on the first day, but he's been avoiding you because he's been thinking, you know, I'm some random tourist. And after two weeks, I began, I begin to meet the people who are more interesting. And if you stay there 30 years, that, 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 that still stands. You, you end up knowing the community being free of the uh, being of the sort of tourist froth, you know that scraped off my experience of Jamaica, which is incredibly difficult to get through for most people. Anyway, so I found this little house by this woman. I said, well, "You've got a nice house. Do you, do you know anyone who's got a little? It's like a little wooden board house right by the sea on a little creek. Very cute." I said, "Have you got any friends who've got something like this?" She said, "You can come in here." So I said, "No, no, no." I'm with my, I was with my uh, girlfriend. I said, no, we can't, your, your granny's there and your kids are there. And they said, no, they're not. And they could be out in an hour. So I said, have they got anywhere to go? And the child said, no, no. She said, shut up. <laughs> so she bundled them all up and um, put them in a car. I remember it was 50 US dollars a week. And I rented that house for, for, for a few really beautiful, beautiful weeks. And she would occasionally come around for a rent rise, which was fine by me because I thought we were doing really well and I was really happy and I made good friends with her. And I um, rented the place off her for, for a good few years. Then one day she said she wanted to go to America, no, to Canada. Where is the biggest Jamaican community in Canada? I think Toronto is quite large. Toronto, it's, I think Toronto is where she wanted to go, yeah. Yeah, they have a Caribbean festival. Right, right. She said she wanted to go to Toronto, but she needed to get her police record cleaned because she had been up to this and that. And that cost uh, 2,000 US dollars. And would I pay for it? So, But if I paid for it, she would go to Toronto, emigrate to Toronto, and she would sell me the house for another few thousand dollars. So I said, all right, okay, let's do that. So I went, we bribed the police $2,000 to lie to the Canadian embassy, I guess to give her a fake, to give a fake record. She got on the plane and went off to Toronto and, and, and I, and I, I bought her house and, and um, been there ever since. Love it. I'm just sunk into that village. I, you know something? That book, One People came out about 25, 30 years ago, 25 years ago. And I'm now considered by a few people, not many, some, as a bit of an expert on Jamaica. And I always say, I know so little about Jamaica, but I know so much about 800 square yards, the, 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 the fishing, the cove, the fishermen, the bars, the people who operate around that little area, who I've known for two or three generations. Those people I do know about. But, I, but when I go out to the rest of Jamaica, I, I often see things I don't understand. And I would never claim to be a Jamaican expert, but I'm a Cousins Cove expert, definitely. So this is the first the first place you initially hit on. That's the place you ended up yeah. putting down roots for all this time. That's it's amazing how that works. I like how one random coincidence like this can lead to. But there's always a tendency to think that life goes on elsewhere or all the cool things are happening somewhere else. But Brian, I, I don't think that's Brian, true at all. I have reverse FOMO. Definitely, I have reverse FOMO. I have absolutely no interest of in what what's not going on in front of my nose. Um, it's it's good and bad. Um, my 
my, my my friend says to me, Guy, you have you 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 have reverse paranoia too. So I said, What's that? He said, You've got this delusion that everyone behind your back saying nice things. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, It's true, I do. They said, It's not true, Guy. <laughs> it's much better I to think, think that. Though. But I also really think this is what I said about the apartment. Don't spend too long looking for the apartment on the square. Pick any place at random and then mm. Co- commit to it. I mean, obviously, if it's got a, ma- a sewage problem and there's a, you know, you know, there's a major fire risk or it's got it's a horrible view, then, then 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 I wouldn't take it. But as long as the basics are good, then it's about how you commit to a place and the love that you show for it. And and I'm sure you as a writer know that you can turn up in a room and think, oh God, do I have to live here and do my work here? And in the first few days, it's horrible. But at the time you've finished your work and move on, you oh, you're really fond of the broken knife. And the and the one cup and the and the dodgy bath. You know, it's like you 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 soon at least I soon for you know if I commit to a place I, I soon start to fall in love with it. And in fact, I was lucky; it was very nice. But there's lots of beautiful places in Jamaica. But I just picked one and I said, "This is my spot. I'm just going to sit here and see what happens and get to know them and get the trust of them because there's a big trust issue. You know, I'm English. You know, we've got some. They've got a beef with the English and a very fair one. You know, we fucked them. We really fucked them over with slavery and then colonization. So to 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 get their trust, it takes twenty years of them watching me very closely, and me not making a mistake or not. You know, if I do make a mistake, I go and say, "I'm sorry, I've mucked must, must up here." Yeah. So how are you perceived there now, especially having written about the plays? Um, they're cool with me now. They're cool with me now. I think when the book first came out. They, 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 well, they didn't really know that I was a writer. So they were a bit surprised. It wasn't in Cove. They didn't really pick it up as I knew they wouldn't because in Cove, in those days, they didn't really read and write. Only the exceptionally clever children um, uh, read and write in the country of, of, of Jamaica because the education system is not very well funded. But also there is another very clever trick that the colonizers did, which was then uh, given to the middle classes who ran Jamaica after the English left in the 60s, which was they have two languages there. They have the language, their own language, Patois, and then they have it, the English language. And what they do is they do all examinations and all teaching in the English language, which is a language that the working people don't speak unless you're extremely clever. So they would go to school and be taught history, for instance, in English, but they they didn't fully understand the English unless they came from an English speaking household, which is basically the rich people in Kingston and, and, and the cities. And so it kept all of the jobs and all of the power in the hands of the people who could speak English and excluded those who couldn't which means that there's a huge amount of talent um, not being given any access to any political power because they can't read and write. But of course, that explains why their music industry is so powerful, because all of that talent only have one other, but they have no movie industry or very, very small one. That talent really, it's, its easiest and best expression is made in music. And so a lot of people who I think would be politicians who would be writers, who would be um, actors, uh, directors. They're all singers. I mean, that's you just have to pick up a microphone. That is your way out, you know, that, and, and they and they become, you know, they become, you know, become DJs because that is the only way of doing it if you cannot read or write. But the, in, and I, I actually run a campaign called Speak Properly, Chat Patois, to try and encourage them to think about making Patois 
a more official language to 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 enfranchise very very unfortunate people who who are given forms to fill in by the government or banks which we know in a language which they don't they've never been taught they don't even have English lessons at school it's like it's so brutal so unjust I saw something very similar in Malta as well I lived in Malta for a number of years and so, so, so did I not really where where did you live I lived in a place called just south of the airport in a very pretty castle it was called Babakra I lived near there Babakra. in um Zaytun right, and then right, uh, right, yeah. In in a village not far from from where you were, yeah, called Zuri, where the Blue Grotto is and all that, kind of up on the edge of this village. But it's very similar there in the sense that the the cultural divide between English speakers and uh, Maltese speakers and the differences in education. Uh, it's very political now as well. Like the languages are linked to different political parties. But you can see how this was really used to to drive a wedge within that society too. Yes, and I'm sure basically where the English were, were, were the colonizers, I suspect it went on. And, and one of the colonized countries uh, has really done something about it, which is Wales, who have finally got um, recognition for their, for their language as an official government language and has got money for TV stations. And, you know, it, 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 it's properly supported now. And it's been very good for Wales. And I often point that out to my Jamaican friends when they go, it's impossible. You know, we should forget Patois and, and move up in the world and just speak, become an English-speaking country. Well, when I say to them, look, man, the thing you're most famous for is your Patois outside. The thing that you're ashamed of is the thing that we all love about it. What you think that we're listening to Bob Marley because of his wonderful English. We're not. We're listening to Bob Marley because he says no woman, no cry. And we have to work the syntax out. And it's a lovely, it's a lovely language. Don't be ashamed of it. But, but they really, the, the rich ones are ashamed of it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's so silly. It's so silly. Anyway, hopefully it'll change. Yeah, so much of the culture is rooted in this, in language, you know, and then the perceptions of the world. It's a great strength. I, I wanted to ask you about that, actually. So what's your organization? What, do, what are they doing? What are its goals? Do you lobby the governments? Or how do you, how do you go about uh, this? Well, yeah, this is, this is uh, speak properly, chat patois. You know, I tell you, talk about a brick wall. I mean, I thought, oh, this will be great. I'll send this to um, Muta Baruka and we'll, I'll send, we'll send out a little press release here and there and people will pick up on this. But uh, it's been really hard to, to get people, to get them to believe. I say to them, your prime minister, Olnas, bro God, they called him, because he's like one of the people and he's also God, bro God. I said, when he goes to the United Nations and he makes his speech, uh, well, I said, when the French president goes to the United Nations, Monsieur Macron, he doesn't speak in English. He can speak English perfectly well. He speaks in French and he says, get me a translator. And people go, that's his language. He's French. That's what he speaks in. And Brogod should go to Jamaica. And until this happens, my, my work will not be done. And speaks in Patois to the United Nations. And they have a translator who translates it into English or French or German or what, you know, what, whatever, what, whatever language the people need it in. But they were like, that would be the most shameful thing for Jamaica to have a, someone re representing us speaking Patois. So it's a, a huge mental, cultural. And I said, no, that is, that is freeing yourself of mental slavery. That is getting, that is exactly what Bob, Bob Marley was saying. But anyway, they think I'm an idiot. <laughs> but I do think that in, in 20 or 30 years, maybe 40 years, I hope that it, that, it, that, that, uh, that it will be more widely used because it's really bad for the 
it's bad for the little for the poor people for the working people so how, how does it work in reverse like what how do people respond if an outsider attempts to speak patwa when they come to jamaica them, them love it them happy love it them happy love it and even if you in a even if you even if you try for hola meds hola 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 you know if, if you try to reason with them and even if you don't get it right they're, they're really pleased to see you give giving it a, giving it a whirl and very surprised I don't know much about languages, but I know that Patois isn't really one language. It's a sort of spectrum of a language in that you can speak it like Bob Marley and be very plainly, plainly here, understood by most, most English speakers, or you can go much, much, much deeper. And there, are, and there are many, many stops on the way. So I can have a conversation where they're using some Patois, but they will just, they will just make it so it's uh, uh, understandable for me. But if, if their friend walks in the room and they want to say something private, they'll just drop down a couple of, of steps or up. I don't know why I say down or just ascend a couple of notches on the language scale. And, they, and they'll now be saying something that is very, unless I hear it back, I, it's very hard for me to understand. So it was a language, a lot about secrecy. It's a lot about they use that language to prevent people understanding it during during times of slavery and colonization because they had to be able to talk to each other without the, without the enslavers and the colonizers understanding what's going on i suspect I'm, i make that up but that's my my working theory but i always like to have a chat with them and i'm not very good at i've had, but i do say why are there no patois lessons if you go to catalan you can get free catalan lessons you go to Wales, you can get free Welsh lessons on the government. There should be Welsh, there should be Patois classes. So people like me can go and learn the grammar. I mean, I, you know, I, I ask them, so I try and work the grammar. There isn't a grammar. There are, there are no history books written in Patois. There, there's like nothing, it, it, it's completely uncodified, the language. That's one of the reasons why it's a bit difficult to write in it, because there's, there is no code. There is no dictionary. No one's written a dictionary. That's a really good idea. I mean, they have cooking lessons for to, to think of a way to bring the, you know, the tourism resort types into the local community. I mean, people would love, be thrilled to take this home with them. That's such a good idea, Ron. And, you know, I've never used that because I've been so stonewalled. All of my suggestions and they look at it like I'm like, you know, like I, I want to like drag Jamaica down into the mud. Whenever they, whenever they talk, I talk on this subject, they'll go, why do you want to take us back backwards? But actually some Patois lessons, you know, I could maybe arrange this. Because the people in, I got a real bugbear with the all-inclusives. I absolutely hate the all-inclusive hotels. But one of the things they are allowed is they're, they are allowed on certain tours or to, to go to certain um, uh, app approved events. So maybe I could get someone from my village to do a patois afternoon or a patois day where you're taught some phrases and you sign up and you come and I mean, that'd be a good idea. And they come and they just sit, and they sit around the yard and, and someone teaches them some, you know, the basics. So how was it received then that you wrote so much of the book in dialect in Padua? I mean, obviously you weren't uh, accused of cultural appropriation like you would be today. I'm not really sensitive to, to being accused of cultural appropriation. I don't think it's a very interesting, I, I don't think it's a very interesting distinction. Certainly, if you live amongst the Jamaicans, you listen to their music for two minutes, you can see they're taking from whoever they want, whenever they want. And all that matters is, is does it work out any? Does it work out well at the end? Is it any good at the end? Is it offensive? If it's offensive, it's obviously that 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 that's uh, you know that that that's not that's not right. But but I think to get hung up on it is a big mistake. 
Um, and I'm not hung on it at all. There are many ways of rendering reality, many, many ways. But having a stab at, at the way they talk, at, you know, at, the la- at their language is completely legitimate. It's, it's no less legitimate than describing a tree or describing their or describing uh, their dancing or my dancing. It's just it's just reality. It, and, and I just think cultural appropriation, pe- uh, people who who get upset about that, they're angry about something else. I understand it. They're angry that their culture has somehow has not worked out very well for them. But it's not the thing for me. It's that that's no reason to start going at someone else's. Big up your own culture. Get into it yourself. Stop saying it's not fair. You know you're borrowing it. Make yourself proud of it. And certainly, if you said to a Jamaican, just explaining the concept cultural appropriation, like trans rights or even the Me Too movement, to be honest, is a fair challenge in, in, in my bar in Cousins Cove. But obviously I've, I talk about everything with them. I do talk about cultural appropriation, but it's just the blank looks I get when I say people get a bit upset if you use some, you know, th- their, their language or their clothes or a hairstyle, you know, just like, how can that be a problem? Who gives a shit about that? You know, how can that be a problem? And I'm with them, and I, certainly they'll take whatever they want. If they, Kenny Rogers, you know what that 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 what they what they need, they'll just take, and they'll sample what they want, and they won't ask permission. And they and if someone says, you know, that's not yours to do it, you know, have it out with them because because they'll say it's it, you know we have equal claim to 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 what we want in the world. I mean, you know, uh, culturally and intellectually, and I'm absolutely with them. And people who put those barriers up and and lay claim to a culture are people who who are disappointed. And I don't know, it's just it's not worked out well for them. It's like only mean people really, you know. Well, only mean people don't like lending. You know, if you're cool, you lend you you lend your stuff. You know, you you know you've got a hammer, you lend it if someone asks for it. You don't go, that's my hammer. You shouldn't be using it. You go, come on, hammers all round. Let, let's get let's get hammering. And and I'm just and if I do annoy people, good, totally good. They deserve to be annoyed. Bring it on. You know, they absolutely can't scare me. And if the idea that I have to kind of run what I write past some little committee, normally of some white person in a in a basement in England, you know. Uh, bring it on, go on, do your worst, mate, because I'm not scared. And if you really want to talk about it, come to Jamaica. I'll take you to a bar in Jamaica and you have your little, have your little, you know, tiny intellectual uh, argument with them because they will not know what you're talking about. Now, I know that's not the whole end of the story and people, and there are many flaws in my argument because it, it it's the same really with, as I say, the trans rights. It's like, totally blows the Jamaicans away. I mean, they just do no, do not. I mean, they're, they're still, they say they're still homophobic. They are very homophobic. But they're kind of not homophobic as well. It's, it's their homophobia is, it could be a, you know, should be, there should be sociologists looking at their homophobia because where it's come from, what it's really about and how it plays out uh, 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 so unlike what you think as you arrive and you think you're going to a homophobic um, uh, society, because it's there are many gay people in my community operating absolutely, as far as I can see, fairly openly, but they're just like not noticed by anyone. You know, and I'm like thinking, well, I guess I don't know, but I, I, in Britain, I would assume that person was gay. I don't say anything. I just keep quiet. It's not my business. But... But but you hear them 
And I go, you're not really, it's not really about gay people that you are, you, that you're angry with because there are lots of gay people here. It's obvious that they're gay people here and they're fine. It's, it, I say they're fine. There are many, many acts of violence against them. I don't really know where I'm going with this, Ram, but it's, 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 it ain't, my favorite quote in the whole world is, is from Cole Porter. And it's the things that you're liable to read in the Bible, they ain't necessarily so. And, you know, I, whenever I'm told this is how it is, I always think, well, it ain't necessarily so. And definitely in Jamaica, I, I, I look at life and I think a lot of the things I've been taught, they, it ain't necessarily so. There's another way of looking at it. So as, as, for, as for writing, as for writing, rend, rendering patois, I'm really glad that I've done it. And I'm really glad that some people don't like it. And I'm really glad that lots of people do like it. And, you know, I, and I wish more people would write patois. It's, it came across to me more as a, an attempt to reflect that culture on its own terms. This is how culture works. We borrow from each other. We, we take ideas from different people. We share and exchange. And it's a, it's a flattering thing. It's not, yeah. uh, it's not an exploitative thing. Oh, well, I hope thing. not. That, you know, we have, a, we have an American guy. I don't know if you know him. He's called Bill Bryson. Do you know Bill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who comes to England and goes around England and takes the piss out of us and sell and writes them in a book and sells millions of copies of these books. He just goes around. He's really rude about us. He's a funny writer. I've never met him, but he's a funny writer. And he gets like, and no one really says, you know, Bill, how, how, why do we allow this man, Bill Bryson, to come and, and, and ridicule us in this, in this kind of accurate way? But if a white person does it uh, to, uh, to a predominantly black culture, People are a little bit more uh, touchy about it, but I'm not. I don't think that colour's got anything to do with it. I mean, it's not like I ever would deny the history. I'm, I'm really, really open about the history and about my very odd position of being a white person going back to this place where these terrible things happened. But I'm going from the point that I'm at now. I can't undo that, but I'm going. I'm celebrating them totally. So I love them. You know, you can tell from my books that I absolutely adore living there. I, I, I spend more and more time in Jamaica. Makes you feel, makes me feel young. We should talk about the book, actually. So, one people as a work of fiction set in real villages and inspired by real characters. And you you've described Cousins Cove as a little Eden made more interesting by the fall. What do you mean by that? Well, in that it it does look very paradisical, and I always thought that the Garden of Eden, pretty to look at, hang around with for a bit, but eventually be quite boring before the snake and the apple turned up. That, that's the bit where the story kind of warms up for me. And, and indeed for the rest of the world, because that's the beginning of the Bible, you know, but they, but you know, how long were Adam and Eve there, but, you know, but before the snake and the apple, we don't know, but, but it's not that interesting Two people being really happy in a beautiful place, but that, you know, there are, there is blood in the soil from slavery and there's really negligent governments and there are ways of sorting out disputes which are, are really uh, dangerous and, and unsociable. There's a sort of roughness about them, which, which, is, which is completely understandable, which makes life quite, you've got to, you, you know, you've got, to keep, you've got to keep on your toes there. You've got to keep on your toes in everything that you do. You've got to keep on your toes. You've got to watch yourself. You've got to conduct yourself well. When I'm, when I'm there, for instance, road rage is not something that I ever is is a is a luxury that I do not indulge in Jamaica. Someone cuts me up, first thing that comes on my face is a smile. 
you know, as they go right across my bonnet or do some outrageous maneuver, which they do in front of me. First thing I do is smile and put my hand out and say, please, sir, go through. In, in Britain, I'm like shaking my fist and swearing at them because, you, you know, you, you, you've got to be careful. You, you, you do not want to get into a dispute with them that, that uh, I do not want to get into dispute them. So it keeps me on my toes. I, I quite like that about it, actually. There's a, there's a phrase they have, it's a tanser back, which is a really important phrase to know. Uh, and when a man comes to you um, and pulls a knife out, comes towards you and pulls a knife out of the pocket, you put your hand straight in your pocket and pull out a packet of cigarettes and, and offer him one of those. And that's called tanser back. And um, that's my mode when I'm in Jamaica. Well, I, I really like the way you set it up, actually. You talked about these sorts of differences between, you know, even before and after the fall. You said you described um, a neighboring village where where people, you know, worked hard and uh, they were industrious and they they tidied up their place and they got ahead. And then you said, yeah, we're not talking about these people. We're talking about these other lazy, shiftless people over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lance's place. They're still like that. <laughs> I, I went there the other day. I said, uh, with, with my palate, I want to go see if Lance's Bay's changed in the last 20 years. But they, they, they're really ambitious. Uh, they have more returnees from America too. And they're ambitious to make their village less slack you know, more, you know, basically more American and suburban. That, that, that's the real danger to Jamaica is, is the American suburbs, particularly. It's, it's also a really good development. I don't, I don't want to be totally negative about it because they're also bringing very good values as well. Hard work, you know, abiding by the law, you know, getting a license before you drive or, or you know, all the things that, all the things that, w- that we sort of do naturally that, that they are bringing to Jamaica. And it kind of it could do with a bit of it. Not too much. I don't want it to completely homogenized and, and just turned into an American state. That would be very sad. But I don't think that's likely to happen. <laughs> I don't think that they're likely to go down uh, that, that easily. Certainly, Ryan, when I first went there in the 80s, when the American influence was really taking over from the British influence after the end of colonization, I remember thinking, "This is, I'm seeing the end of a culture here. This is about to be Americanized. And the interface between the Jamaican culture and the American, it would be the American that came off at the better and the Jamaicans would suffer. But it ain't necessarily so, as I said before, because exactly the reverse happened and that Jamaicans became a massive cultural influence in, in America with their music, with their relationships, with the language, you know, the, the, and, and America, well, it, it has affected Jamaica, but not, but not a great deal, not a great deal. I mean, I mean, nobody wants to read about those those kinds of places either. The perfect village where everybody's industrious. It's, it's not an interesting story. No, in comparison no. to a, a place like yeah. Cousins Cove. You know, I, I used I, I loved um, Wake, Lake Wobegon because he was writing about one one community. It's been a quiet week in Lake Wobegon. I think is that how they all start? But uh, and he he just writes about one little village. They and I and I, I yeah I think he's a really good writer, Garrison Keeler. He's been swept up in the Me Too movement. Me Too movement. He's been swept. Up, he's been accused of uh, some kind of uh, sexual shenanigans, and he's been quietly sort of disappeared. I seem to I seem to think. And I was telling my Jamaican friends because I rem- I was reading the report. I said, "Come and listen to this," and there and I listened to what he had been accused of. And I'm not going to quote it because I don't want to get it wrong anyway. But to the Jamaicans, it was like, hold on, is this guy's rich? I go, yeah, he's rich. He's like white, rich white guy. He's quite famous too. And they go, 
you know, this surely is not, you, you, you cannot really be getting exercised about this. So I go, well, that we are, you know, and it's coming your way. It is, you know, believe you me, guys, this is coming your way. And here's the thing, Ryan, that was probably about six years ago, but I haven't noticed Jamaica change. I said, this is going to change you. This is going to change you. But once again, they are showing that they are very resistant to outside influences. Uh, then I thought maybe actually we have reached the high tide of those um, movements, which we think is a continuum. It's just going to become the genders are going to become more and more fluid, and the rights of women around sex are going to get more and more powerful, and that we're on we're on this road going that way. But I think when I go to Jamaica, I think maybe it's not a straight road from here to a kind of woke heaven. Maybe it's got a curve on it. And maybe it's going to come right back to, you know, to to Jamaica, basically, where they're saying they're saying there's some animal in you, woman and man. And don't forget it. You cannot cage it. You cannot put it. You cannot get rid of it. And you can't do it all with your head. At least I think that's what they're saying. That's what their dance hall. That's what that's what the dance hall guys seem to be saying. That's what Vibes is saying. You know, there's some animal in me. And that's the bit of me that I really like. And there's some animal in the, in, the, in that woman. And that's the bit I like. And, the, and that's the bit that she likes about me. That's what they seem to be saying. And I'm saying to them, it's getting more and more unacceptable. Your, your lyrics, they don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. They don't give a shit. You know, I say these songs, you could, you would, if you played them in an English pub, you would get arrested. I mean, it's, it's almost a criminal offence. I'm not talking about the homophobic ones. I, I, and in fact, the homophobic ones are many, many, there are many fewer of them in Jamaica, I'm pleased to say. But just the straight sexual, the, just the straight pum-pum songs are so outrageous. And you hear, you, you're in a bar, and there's like an eight-year-old child listening to them. You know, and mummy and granny and the boys and like these obscene lyrics about heterosexual sex. And I, I say to them, this is like, and, I, and whenever I'm there, I'm thinking, I'm, this is the, 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 how many more cultures are there going to be where this is going to be listenable to? But they don't, it doesn't seem to be going. Well, I, I don't think the rest of the world is that way. The, the rest of the world is not woke by any stretch. And it's, it has zero chance of, of becoming that way. I mean, outside, outside these northern English speaking countries, like I spent a lot of time in Japan and it just, none of this took off there there either oh that's well, the thing is you actually travel i just go to one I, I don't travel at all i go to one place i only know one tiny place so you don't think that it because i'm under the impression reading my liberal english newspapers that basically the game's over and they've won and the things that used to be able to be said are, no, are basically being phased out and the people who stop them are being phased out you don't think that i think in the places heavily influenced by western culture and western education it, it definitely feels that way. I mean, Western Europe, I, I live in Germany. It feels quite a lot like that here, especially Berlin is uh, is very leftist, but the rest of the world is, I mean, go to Africa or go to the Middle East or nobody's, nobody takes these things seriously. They're, I, I find they, they often wonder, why are we destroying our own culture? Why are we not proud of the, the good things of our cultural legacy? Why are we pretending that people are not human in exactly the ways you just described? Yeah, yeah. It's tricky because I don't want to be dismissive in a kind of right-wing, old fogey, you know, where I, I want to be sensitive about this. It, it requires yeah. thought. But I keep coming back to like, what on earth are we doing? You know, it, this doesn't make sense to me. 
No, yeah, at the more extreme edges, it seems to have just gone off the rails and we've forgotten our own yeah, humanity. Yeah. I mean, it's you can kind of see some of this in the pandemic where the the idea that we can, if we just lock ourselves in the house, we'll be forever safe yep. from from our own mortality, which is just an illusion, you know. And particularly in the Jamaican context, our own sexuality. Because Ryan, mm-hmm. w- when you're in Jamaica, I don't know if it's true of other countries, there is like this sort of like a four bar radiator of sex coming basically off almost everyone. I mean, not I'm going to have sex with you, but I'm a sexual person. And it's okay for me to absolutely to show you I'm a sexual person. And and I'm not offended by you being sexual towards me. No, it's not saying touching or, or raping. I'm not saying that, but just being sexual. The woman who comes around, she was coming around to spray to organize the spraying of my house for duck angst because I had a lot of termites and was eating all the wood. You know, she arrives and she, she, I've never met her before. This is a professional walking in and she will say, ah, you know, you're looking good. You're handsome. You're like black woman. You know, just like the first thing she says, which was, I said, that's so unacceptable. You can't <laughs> say that. I said, you'll be fired for saying that. Or I would be in terrible trouble. She said, no, tell me what kind of woman you like. I have lots of friends, you know. And I look, we're talking about the termites, but it's not, <laughs> you know, it, it's not offensive on either side. That, 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 but they're just like, they know that there's lots of sex in them and there's lots of sex in you or lot, lots of sex in lots of people. And they're just open about it. But I certainly have to massively recalibrate when I come back to Britain. It's, it's, it's you know, not a kind of remark that you can say. No, our culture's killed this kind of good-natured flirting, this this fun, constant, absolute. you know, uh, not a not a battle between the sexes, but this this dynamic. It's it's so enjoyable. It's absolutely, and you know, they are masters of the art, absolutely masters of the art of, of, of flirting, and of it being fun and and not weird or rapey everyone getting a chance to join in in a, in a nice, in, in, a, in, a, in a really workable way. And I, so many people would be offended by what I just said, but it's, it's true. You, you know, you can be 75. I've often seen a man of 75 walking into a bar and a little twinkle in their eye and having a little tiny, you know, saying, saying something, you know, flattering or something a little bit, a, a little joke to the, to the bar, to the bartender, which would be considered rock, which would be like a problem. It would be a problem in Britain if a man if a man did it to, to her. But there, and the bartender takes it on the chin and has a laugh and makes a little remark back to him. And it's it's so much more, it's just so much more sex sexual. Um that they didn't have it rubbed out of them by the Victorians or the Edwardians or by post-war austerity or by the or by the church. In fact, and of course it was, as a, I mean, I, I, I think it may probably have quite a tragic source because I suspect that during slavery, because it cost 80 pounds to bring an African person over to Kingston uh, as a slave, that's what they paid for them. They were very keen to try and, and have as many born as they could on their, on their plantations. So I suspect that the, the guys who owned the plantations, who were in charge of the system, um, devised a culture whereby uh, there was a lot of shagging because that was how they were going to keep these women pregnant. I mean, let's not beat about the bush. This was a financial operation. I mean, you think of Auschwitz, 
you know, that Auschwitz went on for four years. This was a process that went on for 200 years. You know, it was a well-bedded-in system of, of abusing human beings for commercial reasons. But certainly going around and shagging a lot of people in my village is, um, is a high-status activity. Is a high, even now, it's a high-status activity. There's no question about it. And, and there is absolutely no shame to any woman ever being pregnant, ever. Uh, abortion, although it's gone a little bit higher, it's still pretty low there. It's still pretty low there. It's very easily available, but still a lot of, you know, there are a lot of babies produced and it's always a matter of joy and celebration in the village. Whereas in Britain, a girl of 17 or 18 getting pregnant, I think there might be some shame around it if she wasn't married. How much, how much of that easy kind of easy open sexuality comes from being a tropical place? Well, that, that's one of the things. You're all walking around in your shorts and your T-shirt right. and, and, and everything, and you can see, you know, everyone. But they they, they certainly lean into it, Ryan. I mean, there's there's a, there's a, the party up, up my road called Lingerie Party, where the, the you know two hundred women turn up literally in their knickers and bra. Men are all the men naturally are all fully dressed. And then, and you know, and I just, and I, I remember standing there with my friend going, this is really hard to believe that this is like, and, and again, it's not like a kind of CD thing that goes on in, the, like a, in like some funky bar in Berlin. This is out on the road with children, grannies, dogs, everyone, <laughs> everyone there, just, ha you know, exuberant. And it's, as I say, it, to me, it does not feel rapey. It does not feel weird. It does not feel that anyone is there under coercion. Every, to me, I don't know, I could be wrong. It looks to me like a really lovely celebration of this is who we are. Look at our amazing bodies. Fat, thin, everything in between. Just like this is who we are. Let's live before we die. Another thing that, that uh, I really felt from your book too was the resonance with sort of small towns everywhere. You know, everybody's got a nickname that they've sort of been anchored to them through some some exploits. I came from a very small town and it was a bit like that. I mean, the exploits were different, but but the way those some some crazy incident would anchor your personality and you'd just be forever known as as like Uroy or whatever. Multiple names have a very important function because you know me as guy. But uh uh uh, so, so, it, so for, for my culture, I have one name for everyone, but they will have a name that they were born with, which is their government name, which will never, ever really be heard again, whatever it is, Clive Johnson, Hyacinth Anglin, that is their government name. Then they have the name that they're called in their family. Then they have another name, which is a community name, which is often either something that they've done, as you say, or some, or some physical as shorty, blacky, or as you say, if they've been involved in a story which the whole community knows about, they'll get a name from, from that story. And then they have another name for their very close friends. And so when you're sitting with a Jamaican in a bar or anywhere, and someone walks up and says hello to the person you're with, you can tell from the name they use how close they are to them. So it's giving off a signal all the time that, that these people are in this political group or, or the, in this social group, and these people are in the, an outer ring and an outer ring and an outer ring, because their sensitivity about territory and about who controls the territory around them is, is hyper acute, much more acute than, uh, than from my culture. 
So when when you say that someone's called Uroy, they are called Uroy, and they are, and there is actually someone called Uroy, and it was because that he put on a concert. He decided to become a promoter, and he promoted the uh, the the singer Uroy, but he didn't actually book him. So. Um, when the night came and all the people turned up, he decided that the only way out of it was to impersonate Uroy on the stage. <laughs> only, you know, I get very good sound of Jamaican, but overconfident, <laughs> extreme overconfidence. Because but they don't, they, they didn't really have any stage lighting in those days. You just had one bulb over the stage, and he had a hat, and he just thought he could somehow pull off a in front of a in front of a, a, a Jamaican audience, pull off um being impersonating a major star. Anyway, it went wrong, but. So the people who use that name knew that story. And that, again, defined another social grouping, people who had been involved in that and watched and had watched that night and knew that night. So their, so their names are, uh, are really about overlapping groups and narratives that, that some people know about and other people don't. And it's always defining, always defining the groups that the, 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 the groups that they move in. It's it's a it's a beautiful thing when when you start when you start seeing it and and new names emerging. And I know the story that how that name emerged. And when I call that 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 na- that person that name, they know I'm referring to that part of their life. And the other people around immediately know that I'm a trusted figure, or that I'm that I'm intimate enough with him to know that, so they that they, they can relax with me being around. So I'm sending off signals by using using those names because if I if I don't know their names, everyone's um, antennae are up when a white man walks into the bar. You know what? Who the hell's he? What's he up to? That's very interesting. So it immediately places you as an insider in this in this community, despite being an obvious. Uh, outsider or foreigner, an insider in a certain group, run. So there'll be other groups which I'm not in, and some that they are. So they can judge exactly where I fit in. They, they use their names to show where they fit in. So to go back to you, Roy, for a second, for for people who don't know, this is one of the stories in the book, and why you should read it because it's just full of stories like this. But the the funny thing about that to me as well was that he only knew one of the guy's songs. <laughs> he, thought he, could, he thought he could just make it up on the spot and bluff his way through. It's, it has so much about Jamaica that I mean, I look back at it and that, that amazing confidence, you know, from the, when I, when I, you know, as this thing started on, on, and, you know, as I started learning about this, I, there were so many points which I said, but surely didn't he, didn't he realize what was going to happen or how would he think about, um, uh, uh, you know, doing such a thing, but they were like, no, he was quite good actually, you know, he, he, but he only know one song. <laughs> It's going to be a problem. I see, you know, a good crowd there waiting for an entire kid. But um, anyway, it's, it's still a famous story. There, 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 there are some lo- there are some lovely legends there, kind of modern legends. What, what, one of them, which is not in this book actually, is about that. There's a very pretty island just off Negril, very pretty little island which the tourists go to, and they they they're constantly selling it to American tourists. I mean, it's owned by the Jamaican government. It's not for sale under anywhere. It's, it's it's protected, but it's a very pretty little private island, probably about an acre. And they take the tourists out there, and and they somehow manage to to make the tourists believe that they can uh, buy the island for way 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 less than it's worth, and uh, and you know take a few thousand dollars off them. And these poor people think that they bought the island. And and um, there are so many holes in the story as to how they they could possibly do this, but but somehow in Jamaica they 
they just pull these things off. They just do these things. They're, they're so much more daring. I don't know. And one of the other things about those stories too is that it everybody's got some kind of grand scheme, but it, it doesn't matter if you actually pulled it off or even attempted the scheme. It was enough to just have this idea, then you could be credited with this. Uh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's a bit like the, the, the signage. They love a sign, but they never read a sign. A lot, a lot of the people in my community, they don't read very well, but they certainly don't read a sign. They don't read T-shirts either, but they wear, t- they wear T-shirts with words on them. But they, have no, but they don't really care what the words say because they're not really reading them. They're looking at other things which we don't look at. They're noticing many things that we don't notice, but we're, I'm noticing all the words. And the, one of the things about the bars is that they, they put a bar up and, they, and then, then they immediately put some signs up, which are you know, like fresh, fresh coffee. Never under any circumstances can you get fresh coffee in Jamaica. Fried fish. You know, yes, fried fish sometimes, maybe once or twice, open. They put open, you know, paint open onto, onto a door, you know, which is spends nearly all its time closed. They love a sign. They, they're, they're great joiners in it. They're great joiner inners. They love to join in. It's so much less codified and less organized than Britain. It can get a bit chaotic. I, I love that. I love that. I've brought up in a very tight, tightly controlled way. And so it's, it feels like a great release to be out there where yeah, it doesn't matter if you're late. It doesn't matter if you're stoned. You know, it doesn't matter if you're having a drink at 10 in the morning. Nobody gives a shit. No, more than that, you're celebrated for it. <laughs> he's late. You know, he's late. It's, magnificent. it's fantastic. How late are you? It's great. You know what I mean? You know, it's like live before you die. There are a couple instances where the stories involve foreigners, but they seem to divide into like the credulous and the suspicious. So you have this, um, this couple who bought uh, Sandra's house. They hire a caretaker, Vinton, and when when they're away, he's you know under no circumstances must you go into this room. He, of course, he goes into the room. He invites girls over. <laughs> they they use the house as a party place, but then when the people come back, everything's all tidied up in a way, and it's it's as if it never happened. You've got that side, and then you've got uh, the suspicious, like this American was a New Yorker. Was he called Brian? Yeah, the survivalist and you know, <laughs> guerrilla warfare expert who's just suspicious of everybody. Yeah, yeah. What do outsiders get wrong about Jamaica? It's such a good question, though. I love that question. I, I'm going to talk really about myself. It's what I got wrong. I think it's better if I talk about it because I actually know about myself, whereas I have no idea about other people. I'm only guessing. I, because of maybe the uh, Jamaican Tourist Board's very convincing advertising, you get the feeling that they're absolutely dying to meet you and come how in any way it's going to be absolutely fine. And to some extent, they are very welcoming. But underneath that is some history, which they know very well about. They may not know that many details, but they know about it. And if you ignore that, then you're going to get very disappointed or you're going to get very confused. So when they, I have lots of friends, I've not, I'm not, I have a few friends who have houses out there and, you know, normally while they're, while they're away or a car, for instance, if you leave a car there, you know, they'll find a way of starting it and, and using it as a village taxi in, in your absence, which, you know, it's, it's actually very annoying, but at the same time, they feel, in my opinion, that they're slightly owed it that, you know, you just cannot come to Jamaica and just take what you want and fuck off. They're like, uh-uh, this is, it's, it's our time now. So you, it's going to be, 
on our terms, on their terms. And as long as you're prepared to do it on their terms, which can be very annoying and quite expensive, it's, it's beautiful. But don't go there thinking that, that there isn't a debt that they're owed. You know, they were the most enslaved country. Those people went through absolute utter hell in not only in slavery, but then in colonization. You know, they had, they've had a very rough ride from the English, particularly. Not so the Canadians or, or, or really the Americans so much, but the English have given them a very rough ride. And you need to respect that. They don't want to talk about it all the time, but I always respect it. If in doubt, I buy people a drink and, and you know, and look after them because I feel as our, as our, as our politicians will do nothing about reparations, that it's up to me to, to, uh, to, on a personal level, to at least start making a small dent in the huge bill that they, they are that they're rightfully demanding be settled. In terms of sort of freedom with other people's things, that's something you described as being part of the village as well, though, right? Like if there's if there's a hammer, it's like the village hammer. People just pick it up and use it when they need it and pass it on to the next person. So do you think that that extends to, or the way Vincent approached the home of these these people that he was the caretaker for? Yeah, definitely. It definitely, yeah. Because, I mean, private property, far as I can see, is a fairly modern idea there. A fairly modern idea, you know. And even now, in 2022, the, uh, got a, a, a guy who came around to fix my speaker box, and he had a little sachet, a, pla- a sort of plastic bag with loads of little screwdrivers, electronic screwdrivers in it. And I looked at it, I said, well, that's nice. He said, don't tell anybody I have that because they will all they will all want to borrow them. And I said to him, is it hard to, to say no if they come to borrow them? He said, yeah, you can't say no, I can't say no. He said, better that, better that they don't know I've got it. And you have to share. There's not enough, there's not enough in the village for, for, for everything not to be shared. Although the, the, you know, the values of capitalism in America and the suburban America particularly are edging into that. What is basically straight communism, you know, but it, it is being people are being persuaded, and there's more money around, so more people have their own hammer. But still, if they hear an, a lawnmower going and their lawn needs a cut, they will just wander straight over and say, say me beg me, me, you know, me, me, me beg you that lawnmower, and I'll just take drive it over. And I can see my sometimes when I'm driving, so I see my lawnmower miles from my house, and I go back. And I go to my housekeeper, what the fuck? My lawnmower, I just seen it like, it's not, I said, it's the people around here, I understand that. But this was like two miles away. I've just seen the lawnmower. She said, yes, it was a problem. They're, they, they run out of gas. They have no, they, they can't mow their lawn. So I said, it would be okay. So I said, all right, it's okay. And of course, that message goes that far. That guy, guy, the guy lent his lawnmower up there. You know, that message goes there. And nothing is ever said to me. They don't come and say thank you. No way. You, you, you're lucky to get the lawnmower back, but it comes back. But I know that when I'm in that area, not I don't know it like mm, I know it, but it's there that I'm, I'm a man who's, who came up with the lawnmower when they needed it badly. Roots me deeper into it. Roots everyone deeper into it. It's kind of annoying and amazing at the same time. Yeah, like any small community, I know there's there's massive annoyances because everybody knows your business and it's quite free with it. But then at the same time, it's, it's something you don't experience in a, in a big city, like, like where I live now. You live in Berlin, do you? Yeah. Yeah. But hip. Not, not in this neighborhood, actually. <laughs> I did live in a really cool neighborhood, but we, we now live in uh, kind of a working class factory sort of district. It's, it's like my hometown, except German almost. Is, is your partner German? 
No, it's a Japanese. Oh, really? You know, we get some Japanese in, in Jamaica. In fact... Yeah, what, what do the Japanese think of it? Wow. Well, I don't know much about Japanese culture, but I have this idea that it's almost the complete opposite in so many yes, yeah. of, of the Jamaican. And um, But we have some uh, Japanese music um, enthusiasts, and they know... Uh, and they come to some of the, I see them at the shows. And I don't go to a lot of shows. It's like too chaotic and noisy, but sometimes I do. And I see the Japanese all there and they, they, they definitely come and they, they know the music that like a lot of the music fans uh, from Germany as well. They, they're interested in slightly older music from maybe sixties and seventies, which is very hard to find in Jamaica. It must be so disappointing to them because they get to Jamaica. They're not interested in old it's, they want, they want, they're, they're only interested in absolutely what's going on now. And it's not like our cultures where we're like beginning to look at our musical heritage, pop music heritage. There's none of that. It's you're right, you're right up to date. Everybody is vibes cartel. You know, that that's where everyone is. And you don't, you're not, you don't, they don't play you, well, they do, but not very much. You hardly see them hardly see them uh, uh, live acts but the Japanese do come and what is so great is that one of these Japanese who loves the music is also a really good sushi chef and he has opened a sushi restaurant in Kingston which is I, I, I know a little bit about Japanese food from from living in London but it is really good and he is such a nice guy but I watch him trying to get them to deal with his food and to, 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 to you know, to, just to deal with getting it from the counter to the table and, and, and work out. And, 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 and he, he's done it really well. It's such a good restaurant, but I do think, my God, how did he get the Jamaicans to do this? Because they are so chauvinist about food and raw fish. No, me no bother with that. No, me no deal with that. I go, just try it. Just try one bit. No, you can't do that, guy. You can't do that. That fish, you have to fry, you know. And I go, no, you don't have to fry it, actually. You don't have to fry fish. You can do other things to fish. But, but anyway, so there is this really cool Japanese restaurant. There. I really love it. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you actually about tourism as well. Dervla Murphy said that, that uh, the theory that tourism helps a local economy is complete bullshit. I mean, do you agree with that? And what do you think has been the impact in, in Jamaica of mass tourism? Well, thank you for asking me this because I've got I've got a lovely new theory here. Uh, I think that um, that when the all inclusive start in Jamaica, Jamaica devised the all inclusive. Okay, very typically Jamaican. It's a it's a it's a vicious um, uh, uh, economic model mm-hmm. where you commodify tourists, you keep them in caged. It's it's got quite a, lo- a lot of links to slavery actually, in that everyone's all, all all kept in this confined area and there's no money around. And you know, there's there, there some weird, weird reflections of of like of, of controlling a controlling a group. In slavery, it was in c- controlling a group group to exploit them with absolutely no regard for their feelings or rights. But the, with the tourists, they do have some regard. They're trying to make them have a good time, and in fact, they're quite successful. That the, some tourists really like it. But when they arrived. Um, uh, they're predicated on the idea that you cannot trust any ca- staff with cash because there's no cash inside these all-inclusives. But they arrived and Butch Stewart was the king of them who, who runs Sandals. He's died recently. A lot of my community went to work in them. They, they were like, because they're quite close to where I live. In fact, they could build one very close to where I live right as I talk. And I was like, mm, I wonder how this is going to go. But he paid the staff inside the hotel pretty well. 
Um, and he allowed, you know, the, the ancillary workers in tourism in my in my village are the, are the drug dealers and the prostitutes. And all of them could get, a, they could get a, a bit of action on the edge of the all-inclusives. But over the years, he, they have kept the people, they've tightened and tightened their grip on the, on the, on the freedom of the people inside the all-inclusive hotels. And they do not allow them up, out except under kind of armed guard. And it's extremely bad for the reputation of Jamaica because it looks like they've got something to be scared of out there. In fact, what they're doing is they're controlling them so, as an economic unit so they can send them to the bars of their mates and to the um, tourist attractions of their mates, the lame tourist attractions and the shit bars because they're all taken to the worst places because they're told that they're the safe places and, and that's where they do the business. So their, their, their tourist experience is, in my opinion, um, a meagre and it's very bad for the... Uh, um, reputation of Jamaica that you can't just walk out of a hotel because it's too dangerous. It's not too dangerous. It's absolutely fine. But there's another effect that it has by bringing all these English speaking people into, into the area of West Jamaica, where there's no education, was that it taught a whole generation of Jamaicans to speak American English and to watch Americans and to study Americans and look at their, look at their habits and their values and that those two things were what then powered that was like the university which made the graduates who became the scammers and scamming which is a massive i cannot underestimate how overestimate how huge the scamming industry uh, uh is in west jamaica in fact it's just easing off now the last 20 years just 15 10 15 years has been totally about scamming there's been it's 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 even it's even it's even made tourism look quite small. The amount of money that, that, that that's been pouring into Jamaica, and they were absolutely brilliant at getting on the phone and bullshitting and lying and talking these Americans into sending down money under completely false pretenses, and they learnt those skills at the at the at the hotels because it only happened in Western Jamaica. That's where scamming. There was no scamming in Kingston. There was no telephone scamming in Kingston. There was no tele telephone scamming in Montego Bay. It was all in the little villages where I lived. And they dotted around there. There was this absolute gold rush. It's, it's the amount of money that was coming through. That, uh, uh, you know, this is in 2003, 2004, 2005, up to about 2008. And then when the government really had to start doing something about it, absolutely millions of dollars came through. So, so what kind of scams? Give me, give me an example. Well, the, the lottery scam was invented in Jamaica, which is where, hello, you've won $865,344 on the lottery. Good news. And there's a, there's a handling fee of $100. So if you just send that, then we'll, we'll give us your account numbers and we'll, it'll be in your account by four o'clock this afternoon. You know, that, 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 was the, that was the ground zero scam. And they proved to be really good at it. And they then developed loads and loads of variations of it and can quite Byzantine, you know, how the, 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 where they got to the sort of things they would end up doing. And it also proliferated all over the world because lots of people saw it quite easy way of making money, but it's now moved much more onto email and onto the, and onto the computer. So it's, it's, uh, doesn't require language. So they, it's, 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 it's not such a big um, uh, business now, but we were the global center of excellence for about 10 years of the scamming of telephone scamming industry. And, 
that was entirely because they put those hotels there. It would never have happened without those hotels because it's only where the hotels are that it's really good. That, that's it. Well, in my, my opinion, good, because again, I, I put it in the context of reparations and um, so do they. They say to me, I say, I say to them, it's a bit of a heavy way of, of, of earning money, uh, uh, nicking it from old ladies, teeth from old ladies, teeth from old ladies. And they go, no, we're not teeth. We reclaim stolen property. This is everything they have, they, they take from black people. And, and all we're doing is we're just taking back what they owe us, but they won't pay us. They said, get them to pay us in reparations, and then, and then we won't. But we are, we are reclaiming stolen property. And then one said, you should write a book about me. He's the big kind of Pablo Escobar of scammers, who I've known since he was a child, multimillionaire. You should write my book. I said, no, I don't write books to order. And I don't, I don't write books to order. It's not something. I said, you can get on the internet and find someone to do it. I'm not doing it. He came back two or three times and said, no, I really want you to write this book. I want you to tell my story because we're much more, we know people think we're bad and people think we're awful, but they don't see that actually we're the saviors and we're only doing to, 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 to them what they did to us. And you lot all do it. Anyway, so I said, I'm not doing it. And the reason I'm not doing it is because in the end, I don't think I can ever get a, re a reader to really sympathize with, uh, with, uh, with, with someone who's, who, who takes money from old ladies, because in the end, you are a scammer. And he said to me, he said, yeah, guy, you white people, you came down to Africa and then you come to Jamaica and you bring with you a book and, and, and you say your book is written by God. And he said, in that book, God says that, you should be the masters and we should be the slaves. So I went a bit sheepish, went, oh, yeah, okay. He said, and you call me a scammer. So will you write more stories about Jamaica? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. It's got to be good, though. And it's got to be a reason why I'm doing it. It's not easy to write humor either, right? Like you, because I mean, it can come off so completely different for different people. It's, I think it's one of the most more difficult types of writing. What, to be funny? To be funny in print. And thank God, because I can't do much else. I don't have great powers of description. I, I don't have a really good ear. But I can just make people laugh and sometimes make people out, laugh out loud. And all I can say is, thank God, I don't think about it too much because I'm worried if I, think, if I overthink it, something might go wrong and it, whatever it is might, might break or fall off or disappear. But I like a joke. It's, you know, life is so terrifying that all we have is, a laugh, laughter to, to get us through it. I, I can't do it any other way. I do like a laugh. And the Jamaicans love a laugh. And that, that, you know, they, they love, well, again, they've had such a shit fucking deal for so long that they have really learned to, you know, to, to, to know how to dance and they know how to laugh and they know how to uh, fuck, you know, that they're, that they're the three sort of free things in life, which are quite fun. And um, uh, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. So what's next for you then? Are you working on something new now? Yeah, I'm, I'm, right now I'm writing a, a my, my mate has got an incredibly disabled child. And I said to her, it's really embarrassing. I never know what to do when Sonny is in the room because I don't know whether to address remarks to him, whether to kneel down next to him, whether I'm patronizing him or whether I'm ignoring him. Is there a book I could read about what to do? And she said, no, I wish there was because all of my adult friends have such trouble with him. No, not trouble with him, but trouble knowing what to do and relaxing. So I looked on Amazon to see if there was any, worth there were any good books 
popular books, the kind of the kind that I write, accessible books. And it didn't seem to be. So I said to her, hey, let's write it. Let's write a book. Let's write a book about Sonny, about being Sonny and about what it's like to be him and what it's like to be me. You know, I said to him, you're my worst nightmare. Every time one of my children uh, gets to partition and is going to have a baby, I'm scared you're going to come out. You know, that is where we are with this. But you're here. And actually, I quite like your company. And, uh, and, I, and I realized that I need to rethink this. So I'm spending a lot of time with him. He can't talk. He can't move. And I'm like, but somehow I'm like, I've got this friendship going with him. And I'm just def- defining my friendship and trying to, trying to describe his world and get into it and celebrate it. And celebrate it. And it's a good subject because it softened me. One of the, one of the problems with me is I'm a bit of a hard ass and I can be quite brutal. But he's really softened me. And it's a bit more of a gooey book, which I think would be probably quite good. I think I need to soften up a bit. Very interesting. Yeah, so I look forward to reading this. I'll send you a copy. Yeah, yeah, I would love to read it. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time. This has been really interesting. And we, I mean, we barely talked about the book, but uh, I'll put links in the, uh, in the notes to the blog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're going to Jamaica or you want to know about Jamaica, one people is pretty good book to read about it. I say that myself and I would not say that it's not true. Although it was written quite a long time ago, there are some things in it that, 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 that stand the test of time. They definitely do. And their kind of exuberance and their naughtiness and, uh, and their sexiness is very much in that book. And I love that about them. And they're still like that now. You can actually go, more importantly, go to, if you go to Jamaica, leave your all-inclusive hotel, demand to leave and go to Cousins Cove and say that you've heard me on the radio and go to one of the bars and say you heard Guy Kenny on the radio and they will, they will, they will not buy you a drink. They'll expect you to buy, a, buy them a drink, but they will be very pleased to see you. Yeah, you've certainly sparked my interest to go there. I mean, I, I know lots of people from, from back home in Canada who've, who've gone to all-inclusives and that's, that's kind of the general impression. And I'm not a, I'm not a resort person. I'm, can't stand the places, but so this this really uh, hooked my interest. So I yeah, I hope to uh, hope to raise a glass with you over there one of these days. Yeah, well, if you ever do go, obviously get in touch with me yeah, before you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that'll be a pleasure. Thank you very much. All righty, nice to talk. To you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Personal Landscapes. If you like the podcast, please give it a rating on iTunes and subscribe through your favorite app. You can find links to today's podcast and more conversations on Books About Place at ryanvernorn.com. You'll also find a donate button if you'd like to contribute to the costs of the show. All donations are greatly appreciated.